and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm KW Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gessner. We are still healthy and still recording, and we hope that our little show brings you comfort in this uncertain time. Follow updates from CDC.gov and your state's Department of Health for accurate, up-to-date information on how you can avoid spreading COVID-19. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay inside, and stay positive. Today we're talking about the Netflix series I Am Not Okay With This, the graphic novel Orphan Black Deviations, and the fiction anthology The Secrets of Harrogate Valley. Okay, so you recently started watching, or did you finish? I finished it, yeah. Okay, so you were watching I Am Not Okay With This, and you mentioned it was something that I would like, but I haven't gotten into it yet, so tell tell me what you liked about it. Okay, yes, you would like this a lot, and you should totally watch it. It's only seven half hour episodes. So I was able to finish it in like half a week. So this is a coming of age comedy drama on Netflix. And it just dropped in late February. And it stars Sophia Lillis, who was in the new adaptation of Stephen King's It. That's where she's most known. Um, She plays Sydney Novak. And she's a 17 year old girl. She's got a friend named Stanley played by Wyatt Olaf. Um, She's got another friend named Dina, played by Sophia Bryant. And then Kathleen Rose Perkins plays her mom, Maggie. And I love Kathleen Rose Perkins. She was on the Showtime series episodes, which I watched last year, and it's really good. And this is a very, very different character if people are familiar with her work. But basically, this girl, um, Sid, this is based on a comic book of the same name by Charles Forsman, by the way, which I have not read the comic book, but I might do so. Sid is living in a suburb of Pittsburgh, which reminds me a lot of Greensburg, actually. And I think some parts of it were filmed in areas very, very similar to Greensburg, Pennsylvania. very cool. That's awesome. When you watch this, just kind of be thinking, oh, yeah, that looks totally like Greensburg. But the thing that I also kind of dug, like, I think Greensburg, Pennsylvania is beautiful, but it also... Like on cloudy gray days, there is a certain grunginess about it. And it was like every episode looked like that. So it just kind of harkened back to grad school. But Sid suddenly starts experiencing telekinetic powers when she gets upset. And this is coming on the heels of her father having committed suicide and her mom working like 16 hour days as a waitress to support her family. It's, it's just Sid and her little brother. and. Sid is really not taking all this very well, and she starts to manifest a lot more anger and frustration and just complicated emotions, and it seems like those trigger her telekinesis, and it's not controlled telekinesis. It is like just really, really random things happen. She's in a like a small grocery store one day, and like just everything on the shelves falls off. And she's out in a rainstorm one night, and like trees uproot themselves around her. Neat. So, but it's it's like she really, really has no no control, and it's violent and scary, and she's really upset. And a lot of it has to do with her trying to decide who to confide in. Um, her guidance counselor at school gives her a journal to help deal with her father's death, and so every episode opens with Dear Diary. It is a narration voiceover, mm-hmm. and it just kind of starts to be clear that the main entity she's telling about her powers and the problems associated with it is just the diary. But she does end up kind of cluing a couple people in on it as the series goes on. But yeah, and there are moments of comedy, but it's very, very dark. It's a lot of like coming of age as a teenager, 
but there is some really cool kind of superhero stuff that is very, very subtly woven in. The other thing is the first episode of the show opens with watching Sydney walking down the street and she's wearing like a, a dress that looks like you might wear to a school dance, but she's covered in blood. Oh, geez. And you don't know, that's clearly a flash forward. And you do not find out what happened until the very end of the last episode. And it is a big, shocking thing. So is it like a carry thing? Well, I think that's what you're meant to think. So I'll just let mm -hmm. you think whatever. So um, <laughs> okay, yeah, but I think it does have a lot in common with Carrie, which is another, you know, classic story of a telekinetic teen with a strange family situation and a lot of pent up anger and emotion that comes out in violent ways. So yeah, but this is very, you know, current up to date. And there's also some interesting stuff about her relationship with her best friend. And aside from her powers, you know, it also works as just a, an allegory for self-discovery as a teenage girl. So yeah, and Sophia Lillis is just beautifully subtle and relatable, and you really root for her, and you can just feel her frustration and fear. She's just really brilliant in this role. So, And she's only herself 18 in real life, so it's like oh, wow. she's really playing her age and her experience, and it's, it's just beautifully done. So I really like it. If you like kind of funny, edgy, weird, dark, but a very quick watch, it's excellent. And I'm trying to see if – I'm pretty sure there's going to be a second season. It's been getting excellent reviews. And it does kind of leave you on the edge of your seat at the very end. So if there is not a second season, I definitely am going to be devouring the comic book because I need to get better closure. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so you know how many volumes are in the comic book series? I am not sure. Give me a minute. Well, while you're while you're doing that, I think it's pretty cool how young adult as a genre kind of really lends itself to like sci-fi and fantasy stuff and with powers and and magic and any of those other things because like as characters they're at an age where they're figuring out so much so i think it's really cool how especially superhero things can dovetail really well with with coming of age stories yeah. yeah. And I see that it was filmed a lot in Brownsville, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. which is not Greensburg, but very similar to Greensburg. I have been there many times, and I just want to say that it's a lovely town, but it is very much a Rust Belt town. Yeah. I, I'm interested in, in watching it to see how they filmed it, because mm -hmm. um, I hope that they would, you know, put it in a good light. I think that they honestly do, but if you think of a Rust Belt town in 2020 that may have experienced sort of a recession period prior to that through the lens of a 17-year-old girl who's undergoing yeah. extreme depression and anxiety and this weird phenomenon. It does put a patina on it. And I don't know that they ever actually name the town that she actually lives in. Sure. So yeah. it's I think it's a fictionalized take on that. It looks to like the comic was a one volume so it's a okay. not graphic novel length collection that there's so just one. i wonder if it even goes past what they did in season i one. don't know i think i'm gonna have to read it and we'll see we'll see let us know yeah i will but it's beautiful i really en enjoyed it i may check out the showrunners other series but yeah i'm gonna I, I definitely think you would like it a lot 
cool. I really like that it's only half an hour. (laughs) (laughs) So honestly, after we finish this, I will probably go watch an episode and just chill for half an hour. Yeah. Cool. Enjoy. So since that's based on a graphic novel, you recently read a graphic novel that you were really into. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Well, it's called Orphan Black Deviations, and it's based on the Canadian sci-fi thriller TV show that ran from 2013 to 2017. Here it aired on BBC America. This particular comic book, there were a couple spin-off comic books. Yeah. This one in particular, Deviations, came out in 2018 from IDW Publishing. So I watched the show while it was on, and it's a really cool show. You've watched it, right? Yeah, I watched a lot of it. I don't think I finished the last season, but I really, really enjoyed what I did see of it. It was great. Cool. You should finish the last season. Yeah, I think I will. It wraps up in a really cool way. Cool. So Orphan Black, the TV show, is about clones. There's no way to sugarcoat that. (laughs) It's an ensemble piece, but kind of the main character is Sarah Manning, who has some issues she's been in trouble and she's got like a seven-year-old daughter who she hasn't seen in 10 months when the when the show opens and what happens is she gets off a train she's coming to town to try to see her daughter who she left in the care of her foster mom mrs s and at the train station she calls mrs s to try to see if she can see her daughter kira and she sees someone who looks exactly like her And that woman takes off her shoes, puts down her purse, and steps in front of a train. And so Sarah's like, oh, what just happened? (laughs) But she's kind of a con artist, so she goes, she takes the opportunity to go through her purse and and discovers her license. And yes, she looks exactly like Sarah, and her name is Beth, and she is a cop. So that is like the opening scene of the show, and it, it sets into motion a series of events where Sarah finds out that she is in fact a clone and a bunch of crazy, weird, fun, exhilarating things happen. So with deviations, they change one thing, which is that Sarah saves Beth before she can jump in front of the train and then everything else plays out from there. But Beth is alive. So yeah, so it's pretty cool. After five seasons of watching the show, I know the characters pretty well. I know all the events that happen. So it was really interesting to see some of those same events taking place, but but they had a little spin on them because Beth being alive was this ripple effect that that went across everything. So just from a from a fan point of view, it was a great read because I missed the show. So it was it was fun to jump back into that world. But from a writing point of view, it was really cool because because you get to kind of just play with your own characters and be like, hey, what I wrote before never happened. So we're going to try to just see how things play out if that event never happened. So yeah, it was it was really cool. It's not a it's not a comic book that I would read on its own. I think you really do have to know the show uh-huh. in order to get a lot of the, the stuff that happens within it. Uh-huh. And the other thing is, um, it's about clones. So you have you know, sometimes up to six people who look the same in the same panel. <laughs> and they are in different clothes and, and things, but sometimes they switch places and you're just like, wait, who is? Wait, that one is Sarah, but she's pretending to be Beth. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I really do think that you need to have a grasp on the show if if you're going to read this this particular comic book. But yeah, I really liked it. I got that from the library and there are some other orphan black comic books that it made me want to revisit. But just in terms of the show, if no one has seen it, and if if you haven't seen it and you're a fan of sci-fi, I would urge you to watch it because Tatiana Mazzani plays all of the clones. Uh-huh. And she does an incredible job. Yeah. That was right. always something that stuck out to me, that she is an amazing actress because she had to play these totally different types of characters. Some have different accents. Some are from different parts of the world. It was just like everybody has a different hairstyle. Everybody is styled differently. But she was able to make each different woman so unique and specific. And then you've got the layer of sometimes when one clone is impersonating another that's a different acting challenge because you're you're playing that character, but you're interpreting it through the lens of this other character. So it's how she. I don't know if she ever won an Emmy for this, but she needed to. I don't. I don't know. She was amazing. I, I feel like she didn't, but she definitely should have. I know she was nominated, <laughs> and she definitely should have won. But yeah, cool. Yeah. Oh, you know what? She did win. She won in 2016. Good. Okay. So yes, good for her. Yay! But to add on to the orphan black thing. Uh-huh. Last August, I think, through Serial Box, they put out a 10-episode sequel to the series. With Serial Box, it's a little... I'm not super familiar with it. I listen to it as an audiobook, but you can when you get it from there, you can also read it just as a regular book, mm. an ebook. But the audiobook in particular, Tatiana Maslany narrated. Mm. So that was really cool because she got to bring back all her voices and, you know, it's a lot of fun because you can immediately tell who's who's talking even if they didn't have the dialogue tags and stuff. So that was a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah, she's great. And Orphan Black is great. So if anyone's interested in, in sci-fi and stuff, I would recommend any of these. Awesome. Well, neat. Well, speaking of sci-fi, it's sci-fi, fantasy, horror, paranormal romance. It's a lot of different genres blended together. But we recently were involved in creating a shared world anthology. And I don't know who actually had the original idea, but basically we invited several other authors to all contribute to an anthology where every story is its own standalone story, but they all take place in the same university in the same place, in the same little city that we designed together. And it's not quite out yet, but it's it's getting very close to being out. So we just wanted to kind of preview it for people. It's called The Secrets of Harrogate Valley. And because all of the stories are set at Harrogate Valley University. Do you want to go through the authors we have? Yeah. So we've got Hieronymus Hawks has a story called The Sensation of Pain. Sherry Queen has a story called The Thief. Tracy Douglas, who is a best-selling author in uh, mostly the romance genre, has a story called The Griff, The Witch, and The Warlock. Jay Bigelow contributed a story called Last Room on the Right. Your story is called The Mystery of J.L. Ward. Mm-hmm. I have a story called Pressure Games. S.R. Brown has a story called The Green Woman and the Magician. And Annika Sunberg has a story called Friends of a Different Kind. So we've only got eight stories in there, but some of them are kind of on the long side. And I've read, let's see, I've read one, two, three, four of the eight stories. And you've read all of them. Yes, I'm editing the anthology, so I have read all of them at this point. Cool. The anthology in print form clocks in at 316 pages or something. So even though there are only eight stories, some are 
like you said, some are long, some are short. So there's a good mix in there, I think. So we're going to, we plan over the next few weeks or even months to try to have several of the other authors on the show if we can. We don't have a release date set just yet, but we, we think that it's going to come out in both print and ebook. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And so we thought maybe today we would just talk about our own stories a little bit. So I read your story, The Mystery of JL Ward. Do you want to tell us a little bit about like maybe a very, very brief early summary of how it starts out and maybe what your inspiration for this was? Sure. I describe it as a literary mystery ghost story. (laughs) (laughs) So it's about a woman named Sophie, who is a grad student at this university. And she is doing a project on an author named J.L. Ward. And this author has written about, I think, four books, but they mysteriously stopped publishing in the 1930s. And no one actually knows J.L. Ward's true identity. So she's doing that research as she's in grad school, but then she starts, she works at a cafe and she starts hearing some ghostly noises and all of that kind of merges and comes together. And I don't remember the particular inspiration, but I've wanted to write a ghost story for a long time and I never really latched onto an idea for it. So yeah, I can't, I actually can't remember who proposed this idea, but when they did, I was like, oh, this sounds like I could work in, in my ghost story thing. And yeah. it, it came together pretty well. I'm, I'm pretty proud of this. Uh-huh. And you read it and definitely said that I needed another scene. <laughs> and the, and the, and the story. Well, and I think, I yeah, I think it works really, really well now. So yeah, it already worked well. But I think having well, you did the same thing to me, which we'll talk about in a moment. But yeah, sometimes yeah. we're endings are really hard, honestly, they are. So I think sometimes that takes It takes a a beta reader to kind of give you a little, oh, yeah, this is great, but I think it needs a little oomph. So um, sometimes that's when you need another perspective. But yeah, I really, really like the story. I related to it because I could imagine, I mean, I've (laughs) been a grad student for almost seven years in a row, I think maybe seven years in a row, um, still am, and just your character's life was very familiar to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's kind of, uh, she's a typical grad student. Yes. Yeah, one of the things I have a lot of trouble with is endings, because for this one in particular, we kind of figured out the minimum word count we should all get to to have sort of a viable print version. Uh I think it was like 5,000, somewhere around there, 4,000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was hitting 10,000. And I was like, oh, oh, no, this is really long. So part of me was like, just wrap it up with like a little little nod at what what could happen. And you were like, no, this is not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was very helpful. I think it works better now. Oh, well, I think that going over in your first draft is never a problem. And it's we're almost cursed nowadays with having a constant word count of our work as we're writing it with word processing software. And I think sometimes it's best to, you know, get out of the plotty mode and and not pay attention to word count and just sort of serve the story. But because of the nature of this particular project, that was really hard to do. So I totally get you. Yeah. So I read your story, too. It's called Pressure Games. It's about a succubus. Is that correct? Yeah. Because Incubus is a male? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you go through your inspiration a little bit? So I actually wrote this before we talked about the anthology, but it wasn't really 
it wasn't really fleshed out. It wasn't really working. And it was originally intended for a different anthology that it didn't really kind of fit into ultimately. Um, and I think that was mostly because kind of like you, I didn't have a really solid ending. I didn't have a solid sense of setting. So in adapting it for this volume, I really solidified the character's position to the university. Um, it's about a professor who works there, but his wife is a succubus and she is sort of siphoning off his energy and making him perform magic that kind of fuels a magic addiction in him. And it's all, it's very dysfunctional relationship. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. It's pretty dark. It's pretty dark, actually. And it's a little bit of it. I mean, I write some stuff that's like this, but it's a little bit of a deviation from the stuff I usually have been publishing lately. But a little bit of the inspiration too came from, it's kind of an amalgamation of Lana Del Rey and mostly in her music (laughs) and um, Sylvia Plath. So it's when I say it's dark, it's dark. <laughs> so I was listening to a lot of Lana Del Rey as I was writing it. I was also watching a lot of David Lynch films, which I've talked about on the on the pod before. It's one of my favorite things uh, in filmmaking is David Lynch. And so if you think about um, Lana Del Rey's music, for the most part, it's very noir and evocative and bleak. But this is definitely a fantasy story. So it's it's a paranormal fantasy. And just like with your piece, when you read this as a beta reader, you kind of helped me with shaping the ending a little bit of this. Hieronymus Hawks read it too, and he had a different take on how I should end it. So I'm not oh. sure. I think he ended up reading the, the ending that I crafted after your critique. And he was like, I don't know. I thought it worked well the other way. But so <laughs> we'll see when That's it fair. finally comes out. Yeah. Yeah. And I based some of the characters on sort of archetypes of different fantasy tropes kind of but putting them in a modern setting and thinking about how a succubus is a essentially an energy vampire draining people but because she does it through magic use it's a little different so yeah and i would say that it's a it's also got a owes a lot to like detective noir in terms of its feel Mm -hmm. but yeah and i having read several of the other stories in this volume i would say that uh, but I haven't read them all, so I can't say that it's the darkest one of the of the lot, but it does definitely put a strange patina on the university. No, it's it's the darkest Is of it? the lot. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think that's what makes this collection really cool, is that we see glimpses and little baby crossovers here and there, because mm-hmm. we did plan that and would tell each other, okay, I'm using this character who is this, and I make reference to this setting or this person or whatever. And having read Tracy Douglas's story, there was then an element from hers that I put in my story, um, just to have little nods to each other. And I just, I loved that process. It was so fun to do that. It was. It was my first time with the Shared World anthology. The way we tried to do it is we had a big Google Doc where we, as we wrote stories, we would insert characters and settings and things like that. So if anyone else needed a character from the English department, they could kind of just name drop someone from a different story. So I thought that was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. In Tracy's story, she has a custodian character and I had a custodian character. And so when I was revising after having read hers, I made sure that I mentioned my custodian's coworker, which was her main <laughs> character. So I thought that was yeah. that was fun. And we we based it on a university that we were all familiar with. And so it was easy to kind of say, okay, well, this building is going to be like this building. And so that the translation was pretty easy. I think when you do a shared world anthology, starting out with a very easy point of reference and writing your world Bible together with all the contributors makes it, I think, makes it easier. 
were most of the, since again, you're, you're the only one who's read all of the stories so far, are all of them somewhat fantasy related in some way? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I think we originally did have a couple other folks who were going to contribute, but their genres were a little disparate, and then they ended up not being able to contribute. So I think it would have worked with other genres included, absolutely. But it would have also been sort of like if you had a straightforward dramatic romance story in here with no supernatural elements, it would have still worked. But then the, the reader probably also would have been like, wow, they just have no idea what's going on under the surface of their cottage. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah. That's interesting because we wanted to keep it pretty loose. This was our class and a lot of us do write fantasy, but some people don't. So we kind of weren't sure how that would be received if we had a lot of different genres within within one collection. But I think it turned out really well. Yeah, I'm really I'm excited to read the whole thing. I'm excited to get this out. And we like I said, we're definitely going to try to have other contributors on the show and discuss their takes on their stories and the process that they went through. But yeah, and I think once we actually get this released, it'll determine whether we want to ever do this again. I think some parts of it were harder than others, but it was positive yeah. overall. Absolutely. That was going to be my next question. Would you want to do it again? Oh, yeah, I think so. Unless unless this last phase of it just goes completely awry. But I don't I think <laughs> we're almost to the point where we're ready to get it out. So I think it'll be fine. Yeah, I would do it again, but I would want to wait. A, oh, yeah, a little bit for sure. Yeah, just give myself a little bit of a break. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that was really fun. And I, I hope that um, our listeners, once we get it released, we'll let you know where to check it out. Yeah, for sure. Next time, we're going to talk about a bunch of fun pop culture topics. We're actively working on getting some guests for upcoming episodes. So stick around for an awesome next few weeks of the show. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find me on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. If you'd like to email us, and if you'd also like to email us um, story ideas, things you'd like us to cover, we are actively seeking solicited materials like that. So please feel free to email us at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.